I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. This is Stein Gold. You listen to my man Josh Levine on Rebel Radio. Fuck you, Josh. What's up? This is Rebel Radio. What up, what up? This is DJ Newmark. This is Peanut Butter Wolf. It's your boy. It's okay. Keep checking out Rebel Radio. Rebel Radio. This is Rebel Radio. We're in the place right here. Uh-huh. Rebel Radio is going down. What do you say? Rebel Radio? Oh, wait. Let's do it again. Rebel Radio. What's up, Rebels? Welcome back to Rebel Radio, the weekly show where I bring you the rebels who are shaping our culture. I'm Josh Levine, and uh, I hope that everybody is healthy, safe, uh, quarantined, or whatever you call it, um, and that you're finding ways to be creative and productive. I know for me, making this show has been a great thing to focus on. I've got the, the studio set up in the house now. And uh, we're recording and, and getting shows out every week. And, and for me, that's been that's been big. Love to hear. Hopefully it's helpful to you. I love to hear what you're doing uh, to stay creative. If you want to drop us a line on Twitter, Facebook or uh, wherever else you feel like. And uh, today with me in the studio is one of our last in-person interviews before we move to the virtual format. Um, Steingold. He's, uh, he's one half of a DJ duo with Mike D of the Beastie Boys. Got some great stories to share about that. He's also producing uh, techno music with uh, Lee Curtis as well as, as on his own. And he's had a really interesting background. He, he was, uh, worked at MySpace, went on to be a co-founder of an ad tech company. And he kind of helps us understand how he's navigated both of those worlds and, and what brings him back to music. Um, as well as how he's been able to build a really powerful network um, with a low-key personality that, that doesn't necessarily say networker uh, when you meet him. So it's, it's fun, fun stuff. I hope you'll dig it. Uh, let's get into it right after the EDM.com track of the week. i 
I'm the man, I keep it flowing like a damn man. I'm as cool as a man, you better know who I am, man. Don't that I'm the man, I keep it flowing like a damn man. I'm as cool as a man, you better know who I am, man. That was AO with Timeline, the EDM.com track of the week. If you like that one, get over to EDM.com and check out more new music. And now let's get into the interview with Steingold. Mike and I went and played Jimmy Buffett's daughter's pre-wedding party. No way. Yeah, but it was during like Ultra Weekend uh-huh. or whatever. So I had other friends down there and That's just hilarious. got like, I didn't. They're like, "Do you want to go to the wedding?" I'm like, uh, "I don't know, man. Like, I don't know enough people here." So I like <laughs> met up with some other friends and just got like got caught up in what everything else that was going on down there. I wonder if you're Jimmy Buffett's daughter, like, how you. I wonder about her relationship to all that. Yeah, she's the, like I think she's, parrot head thing, and I think she's just kind of like, well, she's kind of like a I don't know, in the, like a scenester uh-huh. girl kind of. So like, like the fat Jew is there, like right. people like that, you know. That's funny. But uh, it was fun. It was chill. Like everyone was nice. Jimmy Buffett was like walking by me, like that's so funny. That dude is like. <laughs> On the low, he's like a powerhouse. Yeah. You know, I don't even know if it's that on the low, but but he's not like, like no one thinks about him. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, it's like Margaritaville's in like every airport but, pretty much. Dude, and he's got, uh, he has, they're building hotels now. Really? Yeah. Margaritaville hotels? Yeah. Damn, son. Somebody told me about that, and but, then they got like a liquor brand. It's yeah. just like, it's unstoppable. Yeah. I think that's the right way to do it. Hell you know, yeah. Like in the background, yeah. in the shadows doing it, not like so you're, it's a mob scene everywhere you go. Well, yeah, because he's like, you know, I wouldn't know who he was if, if yeah. he walked in right now. Right. And so, yeah, you kind of get to move, mm-hmm. you know, but then his fans, I mean, I think you're right. That's like, is like you either love him or you don't know who he is. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No one hates Jimmy Buffett, though. <laughs> I don't think no so. No one's like, fuck that guy. Right. Like, you, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Never heard anyone say, fuck Jimmy Buffett. Nah, curse, there's no Jimmy the Buffett name. haters. <laughs> so how do you do that? Let's figure that out. How do, how do you do that? Fuck, man. Yeah, well, there's... How do you navigate that world and not become, like, miserable from... Well, here's what I want to... Like, that's like... Do, does that just happen? Like, you're Jimmy Buffett 30 years ago. Right? Does it happen to you, or do you create that? What was his biggest song? I mean, Mar- definitely Margaritaville. Okay. Oh, and then there's that other one that's like a. Um, it's like a terrible. My aunt. It's is like a, his- My aunt's a big Jimmy Buffett fan. That's that's literally the only reason I know about him. And when did he become famous? Like you know, you saw like when the Beatles became famous. Right. It was like rabid fans chasing sure. them through the streets, like screaming. Like my dad said, he went to a Beatles show and you couldn't, you, you just couldn't hear. Anything. Is that right? He was just screaming the whole time. That's crazy. At the Olympia in Detroit, because uh-huh. they were playing on like just little fucking amps, guitar amps. You know, like yeah, it wasn't 
Yeah, for sure. They didn't have like the sound that we have today. He's like, all you heard was screaming. Right. Yeah, of course. But sure. I don't think Jimmy Buffett, that no. was ever the case, you know? No. Like the way he... No, because, you know, he... I mean, even that one hit, I don't think it's that big a hit, right? It's like, I think... You know, he's like he's yeah. more in that Grateful Dead vein, right? Right, like, right. That's what it is. It's less about the songs than the than the experience. The vibe, yeah. The, yeah. And yeah, the community. Like, and um but I just wonder like do those people I wonder can you can you manufacture that? Or yeah, does it just have to happen? I think it's just kinda like the way yeah, just the way everything unfolded, the songs the audience, you know? I don't know how old he was when he became huge, you know? But yeah, I, don't know. It, it, I don't think it was like some teeny bopper shit. It's not, I don't know, if it always felt kind of like more like mature, you know? Like sure. m- more mature, like chill music for a mature f- audience. <laughs> yeah, yeah. but is that like, it's, I mean, it's like that now, but was it back then? Like I think of- I like, don't know. Um, Cause my dad, I mean, like my dad's all into classic rock, and we never were rolling around listening to Jimmy Buffett. No, cause it's not really. It's more. It's funny cause I was at my aunt's house last year, and she was playing it on on the stereo. It's like it's more country. Yeah. But it's like easy. It's like uh, light. It's like easy listening. It's like yacht country. Right, right. Light FM. That's like the shit you hear on light FM. Yeah, light yeah FM. exactly. <laughs> yeah. For sure. But even that, like, you know, it's hard to look back now and say, like, what it was at the time. Yeah. I mean, we weren't there, obviously, but, you know, I just think of, like, I always think of Three's Company. Mm -hmm. And, like, what were those people? Because those were young 20s. Right. You know, or mid-20s. Like, you know... and but they would go to that bar to Regal Beagle and and it would be like, you know, I don't know if it was Jimmy Buffett, but it would be like that sort of genre of music that was like that's that's what people were into. Yeah. It was like yacht rock. Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah, and that's a whole different. Yeah, that's a whole different, I guess, crowd that's consuming that that isn't going to be mobbing you in the streets. That's hilarious. Yeah, they're lounging. They're, like, listening to your songs and just, like, picturing themselves lounging on the beach with a a pina colada. Well, let's talk about you, man. Uh, I appreciate you. We can talk about Jimmy Buffett all day, but... Yeah, man. um, I appreciate you being here. Uh, Yeah, thanks thanks for having me, man. Absolutely. Um, um, You're one of those dudes that, like, every time we talk, like, I, I learn things about you that I didn't expect. Like you're like multi-layered, and uh, and so I'm excited to dig into it. You're gonna peel them back. Yeah, for sure. Um, tell us about well, tell us tell us how it all started for you. Do you remember the first record you ever bought? I remember the first record that was ever given to me. Okay, and it was Houdini One Love. Nice. And it was given to me by my older brother. And I think he got it at a bar mitzvah or something. That's cool. And I still have it. Houdini's one of those artists that, like, I, like, I forget about them, and then I remember, and I remember how fucking massive they were. Yeah. 
and how, um, you know, how ahead of their time they were as far as like, uh, you know, it was very, very accessible rap, like very early on. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Everyone could, everyone could get on board with friends. For sure. You know, like. Yeah. There's no way like friends is like an instant classic record. Right. And it still sounds good. Like sonically. Yeah, they were a lot better, I think, than a lot of the the old school definitely rap. Just in you know, in terms of how well the the sound mm -hmm. holds up, definitely crazy. So you so somebody gave you that. Yeah, my older brother gave me that. And then were I, you were you like, so what happens? Do you instantly become a rap fan or? Um, I was well. My first three tapes too were. When, this is when I was like six or seven years old. BC Boys licensed to Ill, Run DMC, King of Rock, LL Cool J, Bigger and Deffer. Mm -hmm. And I used to just like run those on like auto reverse. Like sure. I'd like listen to them through the night. Yeah. Um, and I wouldn't say it like, I mean, I don't even knew if, remember if I knew what I was like listening to. I just right. knew I liked it. Like, yeah, my, at that age. Yeah, yeah. My sure. older brother, he like told my mom to buy those for me too. Uh -huh. he, he was like eight years older than me. So he was like, okay. his room was across from me when I was a kid. So, you know, he was playing, I mean, a lot of like classic like 80s, like Wham and Depeche Mode, but also like Kraftwerk and Cybertron, mm -hmm. you know, and then sure. like also like, he'd be listening to the, the electrifying mojo and the wizard which was jeff mills right and like i'd be like tuning in like in bed like tuning into my uh -huh. clock radio and it's like robots are talking to me you know so like amazing yeah that was like i mean that was something really special and yeah you know f being like from the detroit area to like have that type of experience you sure. know? rebel radio is brought to you by honeybook you know, HoneyBook's probably the perfect sponsor for this show. If you know me, you know I've had a small business, Rebel Radio, now for 20 years. And so I've learned a lot of the challenges uh, that come with running uh, any type of creative company. The main one being there's just always too much to do. If you're a small business owner, you're handling the administration work, the creative work, the stuff you love, the stuff you don't love, it all has to get done. HoneyBook is an all-in-one business management platform for creative businesses specifically that lets you streamline your process and manage all of that stuff in one place. Invoices, contracts, proposals, uh, calendar management. It lets you do more faster so that you can focus on the stuff you really want to do. It will definitely save you time. So we've partnered with HoneyBook.com to offer Rebel Radio listeners 50% off the first year of HoneyBook with the promo code REBEL. Get started at HoneyBook.com today and use the promo code REBEL for 50% off your first year. Again, that's HoneyBook.com, promo code REBEL. So, yeah, first of all, we should say, so we know each other through Mayor Hawthorne, Jackson, yeah. Josh, mm -hmm. um, many, many nights together at After Work. Many nights. Anybody listening, we do, uh, we do an occasional get together in LA called after work if you want to get on the list yeah too the bad one um I don't know we all you know it was once a month for a while and yeah. then everyone just got busy and you know it's hard I mean I'm sure 
you know, it's hard to sustain something. Definitely. And so we start to get bored or start to like make it more complicated than it is. And so now it's like a few times a year. Yeah. Um, but uh, but that's kind of how I got to know you. I know. So did you guys, did you grow up with them or how did you hook up with, with uh, Drew and Jackson? So I connected with them when I was like 18 or 19. Okay. Um, just through like, cause that's when I started to really, I, I was, I was in Michigan state. Mm -hmm. I went to Michigan state, mm -hmm. but I'd been DJing for a few years by that point. Like I started playing, started playing, probably just messing around on like my other friends turntables, like 94, like late 94. And then like 96 actually like got my own, just got some like fucking like Gemini belt drives mm -hmm. um, and like started just buying, accumulating more records. Yeah. My older brother like set me off with like a bunch of records too. Nice. Like a bunch of like craft work records mm -hmm. and just like, um, so yeah, then like I started to like try and play parties, like get out of my dorm room or whatever, right. try and play parties. And yeah. like I ended up like just going to shows in Ann Arbor because Ann Arbor was more. I feel like of like a cultural hub and like especially in like the Michigan hip hop scene, there was a lot going on there too. A, Jackson was in a group called Funktelligence. Here we go. Mayor was the DJ in a group called Athletic Mike League. Mm -hmm. And there was also Binary Star, mm -hmm. I'm sure you remember, and, and yeah, Subterraneous yeah, sure. Crew. And so they would all they would always be doing shows at the Blind Pig in uh -huh. Ann Arbor. So I would I would be driving out. And then all, eventually I started to like get in and play those shows because I just started to become friends with all those guys. Yeah. But what's crazy is I found out because I didn't know Drew Mayor Hawthorne until like that time, but then somehow like throughout the years i found out like my grandma was best friends with his grandma and, like, oh, no great grandparents were close that's funny so it's like yeah three generations of detroit jews skipped over my parents though so that's so funny think, even though i think my dad and his dad went to the same high school oh really but my dad like was only there for like a year or two mm. mumford so what um obviously you know detroit's musical history as well yeah. told yeah um from motown to to techno to eminem mm -hmm. um talk to me about growing up in detroit in in a time in the kind of in-between time right so you you have this there's this legacy right and i'm sure this community yeah um but what is that let me try to think of a question um <laughs> Right, so I had Kenny Larkin on, and he talked about what it was like in that time, right, when, when Juan and Derek, Kevin, all those guys are, like, emerging, and that's becoming the community. And so you're a generation after that, right? Yeah. Um, so what's the vibe in terms of, like, the relationship to those earlier generations? So, well, that's, so that goes back. So I was lucky enough to 
because I had somebody older than me, like my older brother is eight years older than me, and mm -hmm. he was like, I don't know how or why. I think it's from Electri Electrifying Mojo's sure. where they were they were finding out about like craft work, and they were they yeah. were going buy those records and then be playing him and his friends would be playing them, and I'd be like hearing that shit when yeah. I was a kid. Yeah, you know, sure. And like at that time, I mean, there was no like like it's funny because I ran into people trying like out techno me all the time. I'm not <laughs> even. I don't even. I mean, it's cool, but it's like I'm not even really trying to have that. Right, that battle, sure. but like, but you because like Sharavari, like number of names, like yeah. people debate. Some people debate because Al, I think Ali's are your Ali's are your mind if you ask like Juan Atkins and, but mm -hmm. then is like the first quote unquote techno record I think, but Sharavari number of names. Smoking on his cigarette, listening to his carcassette. Cruising with his hot playmates in his portion nine to eight. Some people are like, well, that kind of is also like, or mm -hmm. it's there, you know, it's just, it's one of the first techno records. And then like this kid the other day is like, like we were talking about Detroit. He's like, well, that's like disco, you know, I'm like, right. well, but like there wasn't really a, a def there, at that point sure. in time, like if you hear like Moody Man talk about it, like there wasn't like. People, there, it wasn't like defined yeah. like that. Yeah, you know, it was just music. It was just kind of like stuff that they were making, stuff that they were playing that they thought that was. Well, I like think cool. every genre is like that, right? Like no one, no one sits down to say, "I'm going to create a new genre today." Exactly. Yeah. Right? Like they create based on what they know. Right. And they make something that's a little bit different. Yeah. And so you know, you talk about it in hip hop, right? And we think of, you know, there was, it's not really even a debate, right? But like, we think of the. Sugar Hill Gang, but then before that was Fatback, mm -hmm. King Tim the Third, and it was just like that's a disco song that somebody rapped on. Yeah, and so is Sugar Hill Gang, but it kind of just moves, you know. And then one day you have Run DMC that's like not disco at all. Right, right, and that's crazy. Like I'm straying away from, but we'll come back. And Kenny Larkin, we have like I have interesting story. Oh, cool. With involving him because we were sharing the studio space a couple oh, that of years right? ago. Oh, okay, I love Kenny. I mean, he's like, he's a legend, man. Yeah. But it's funny watching hip hop evolution. Uh huh. Cause like, I think about all like the nerdy, like arguments right. we'd get into is like backpacker type, like hip hop sure. kids, you know, like, but like hearing like the old school guys, like talk shit about Run DMC and, mm -hmm. and Sugar Hill Gang. Mm -hmm. Like, that's the wackest shit ever. You know, or like right. Run DMC, like those guys, like we were, you know, like we were dressed like like Gap Band and then those guys sure. come in mm -hmm. like wearing like Adidas, you know, mm -hmm. track suits, like, like how we would wear, like right. dress on the streets. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that pissed them off and they thought that they were whack. Sure, totally. But no, like, it's fine. I mean, but, th but that's kind of the... Like, I feel like all, and, and, you know, dance music is better at that maybe than anybody. Yeah. Right? Because the evolution happens faster mm -hmm. than I think in other genres. Definitely. I, I think that's, like, kind of a thing that is getting lost. And, I like, in the last month or two, I've seen a lot of, like, older school guys, like, publicly lamenting, like, Carl Craig and even Green Velvet. Just because, like, the genre has become so, 
like it's disconnected from its roots. Like people don't, sure. people don't know really understand or like where it comes from. And then the right. EDM thing they feel like was like a complete whitewashing, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, Which I can understand. Yeah. But I also think, you know, and, and like, who cares what I think, but well, <laughs> I do. Um, I think it's a language issue, right? Meaning, you know, what does rock being made today have to do with Elvis Chuck Berry. or Chuck Berry? Yeah. Right. Very little. Right. There's a guitar, but not even always. Yeah. Right. And so, um, but it's, it's a common language and that's just human nature, right? We need to label things mm -hmm. and we like, that's just part of how we move through the world mm -hmm. as we label things and we go, I, I like that label, but I don't like that one. Right. Right. I like stuff that's sweet but not sour or yeah whatever right and and but but everything is has some sweet and some sour and, yeah. and it has some rock and some techno or whatever and we then we just draw a line and say well okay this is this and and on the other side of the line is something else but those are arbitrary right or they're not they're imperfect mm -hmm. and um and and so it's so house music i guess my point is it's ridiculous to think that house music made in 2020 and house music made in 1990 should sound the same or right. should, or should be as connected as our, our brains want them to be. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Cause it just doesn't work that way. Definitely. Well, it's funny because then, yes, this is true. But then also there's been kind of like a lot of stuff sounds either the same that's coming out or like people are trying to make i mean like 90s like style sure. like house music has had like a big right. kind of resurgence you yep. know like piano house or whatever and then so yeah like i hear stuff that does kind of sound like days mm -hmm. of old but also yes i understand what you're saying like everything needs to like even like hip-hop like i can't you know it's like people if you're like an older guy and you hear older people's say you know they're not feeling like what like mumble rap right. or whatever but it's like well i mean like times have changed you know You're so like it. yeah it's, it's not, not for, for us it's not right. for us exactly yeah. yeah but yeah but that's so hard that's like that violates human nature mm -hmm. right like our i think i you know because i'm the expert in human nature but <laughs> but like i believe that if you don't like something personally, it's really hard to see the value in it for other people. Like that's, do you know what I mean? Exactly. And most of us don't have that yeah. level of maturity or at least. Like, I don't like this. I hate it. Right. Screw this. Right. But, that's pretty you much. know, but the, the evolved or, or the, the, the more, it, it's a different kind of experience to say, this isn't for me but I understand that it has value for other people, mm -hmm. right? Like right. that's a, that's not an emotional thing to say. Mm -hmm. And music and, and art in general connects with us emotionally, right? And so when we try to stop and analyze it, like I think that's when things kind of go crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then like the, but in the old school guys, they just, you know, cause they just want their, as I'm sure, cause like I kind of see like the like the techno mm -hmm. like the how it came about is kind of like our version of like hip-hop sure you know like absolutely and you know like those guys 
they want their due, right. and I think rightfully so. Mm -hmm. And they want to be recognized as the the founders. Um, you know, because I think they feel like EDM came along, and it just kind of um, it then people it just became like this whole other thing that just kind of like taken got taken no question away from them but also i feel like it also it opened up because of course like vegas edm became huge but now there's more like underground stuff happening like we're gonna go out in a couple weeks because some of my friends are involved but there's a there's this thing called art of the wild oh and yeah it's like at the encore and it's yeah. all it's all like underground like house and yeah techno artists yeah that's cool and and i want to I want to talk more about you, but yeah, I think, yeah. but I, I I do think it's a really interesting thing that like, I mean, it, it's happened in everywhere, right? Mm -hmm. Like, uh, I read one of John Wooden's books, Coach from UCLA, and he talks about making fifteen dollars a game playing professional basketball. Yeah, yeah, right. And so, I mean, in in every area, there's the pioneers, and then there's the people that make a lot of money doing it. Yeah, and they're almost never the same people. Yeah. Will Chamberlain definitely wasn't making, you know, LeBron money. No, exactly, right? And and so it doesn't happen that way. Yeah, in a fair world, everyone should get their due, okay. Mm -hmm. um, but it, the world doesn't really work that way. Yeah. And, and it's also not that Jeff Mills was getting seven figures to DJ until Skrillex came in and stole his, his yeah. career. Like, yeah. that didn't happen. Right. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, what happened was there's this underground thing that a lot of people enjoyed and some people made decent livings on. Mm -hmm. And then someone came along and made a more mainstream version of that. Yeah. Either because of how they look or how it sounded or some combination of things that we can't really explain, but it just works. And that's Diplo. Yeah. Or that's, you know, whoever. Yeah. And, and, but they're not, I guess my point is like those, those things don't have to be in competition. Right. I like Jeff Mills, it's funny because I was just thinking about him. I was just talking about him the other day, but he's just on like, he's in his own universe, man. Sure. Like collaborating with the, uh, with like NASA. Did mm -hmm. you see that? Like no. he did like a, a radio show for NASA. Oh shit. Yeah. That's like cool. insane shit in like the, nice. like the Paris Symphony Orchestra. He's just constantly, I mean, for someone that kind of like, like I was saying, like six years old, like hearing this stuff, like right. list, am I like sure. listening to this on my clock radio? Like this dude playing on, on, you know, like Detroit radio station, and um, but yeah, he just continues to like innovate and just like yeah. trying to take it to like a whole other yeah. level that no one ever that's thought amazing. of. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and and that's how it should be, right? Like mm -hmm. he's got that lane. Mm -hmm. which kind of becomes more interesting because there's this mainstream thing happening yeah. that just brings more people to the table. Definitely. So what about you? Are you... I was going to say, I'll, like, yeah, I, 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 could, you talk. I remember, like, the initial question before we, like, started to, like, skirt off yeah. into another uh, lane. But, like, the... So, like, the the party scene in Detroit... Um, like it was just something we would do, you know, like we just started going, like it started going like 94, 95 to like, 
little like underground hip hop shows, more like in St. Andrews Hall or whatever, and like three floors of fun, mm -hmm. where you know it was like like hip hop on one floor, house shoes, like house and techno on another floor, and I I think rock on one of the other floors, mm. and also going to like the Packard like parties at the Packard plant, like poor boy parties, which oh, were my cool. favorite parties, and they. I mean, all these, like, I was saying, like, there was a variety of music at Three Floors of Fun. Like, the the poor boy parties were, like, booty room, hip-hop mm -hmm. room, you know, um, like, house room. Um, and, like, I don't know, just that was what we did. Yeah, for sure. You know, so, like, that, I guess, like, at the time, like, the Packer plant, like, when, pe when I talked to people that, were like kind of after me and tell them that I went there, that I was there. Like, they're like, wow, you, you, yeah. you got to go to the Packard plant parties. Like it was just like this crazy abandoned yeah. massive warehouse. Like I feel like no, every time they threw a party, it was in a different space. Like that's how massive I mean, it was. Thinking about it, Detroit seems like probably the ideal location for a warehouse party. Right? Yeah. Cause there's all these car plants. Yep. Yeah. There's weren't I mean, being used in the, 70s 80s 90s yeah they definitely they ceased to be used i mean yeah. that's and that just left it to be this like big empty canvas mm -hmm. <laughs> for things like that in for sure but it's like it's kind of crazy to think and then like when i when i graduated school and i moved back and i got more involved in the scene like personally like i was throwing i mean i i became like a resident at st andrew's hall in the shelter, which mm -hmm. the shelter like eight where eight mile was, yep. it didn't they didn't actually film it there, but that's like they built like a set like yeah. little little ways away. But that's the shelter was the basement of St Andrews Hall, and that's where uh, like that's where like eight, that infamous battle scenes and mm -hmm. things were supposedly took place. But um, I became a resident in those places, and then this place called the Motor, the Motor Lounge which was the first like like brick and mortar venue for like underground like Detroit like right. house and techno music. Yeah. And it's just crazy like I was I was at something this weekend like out of all like the random things that I've done and played that's like people still introduce me as like oh he was a resident at the motor and sure. it's just crazy and it's cool. Yeah. Cuz at the time like all these things that we were doing, I mean, we were just doing it. Mm -hmm. And it didn't, I mean, it wasn't even like that. Like the the legends that we know, like like Richie Haunton and Jeff Mills, like it was a big deal to us. Like we were excited about, they would, you know, like the Detroit, like like OG guys would make like a couple hundred bucks. Right. But they, they would have to go overseas to make sure. the real money. So yeah. like, that's why I think a lot of them, like Jeff Mills and Richie Hunt, that's why they ended up moving overseas. Like, I don't know them personally, but I assume, mm -hmm. like, that's... Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, because, like, that, like, the real market and money for them was in, like, Berlin and yeah. UK. Definitely. Definitely. So, um, so you get this residency at Motor, which is definitely a big deal. Like, I've, I've, uh, I've only been to Detroit once, but mm -hmm. I've heard about Motor... Yeah, Any, right. It's um, crazy. It was like I guess it was like our hacienda. Yeah. What um? So was was there a moment when you 
either realized or decided that that this was going to be your path that that like you're going to be a dj as a career um i yeah i mean that's just i like i i had a business degree mm -hmm. but i moved back home and i just started like i got a job for like a music for a music distribution company okay I mean, it wasn't all that exciting. I was like stocking music and like Walmarts and like, sure. but I mean, it was a job, but I also was, I started throwing like, like open mic nights and like started like bringing in people from out of town, mm -hmm. like Idea and Abilities and J Live and Elder Sensei. Um, and trying to like put on like local talent as well and started yeah. making my own mixtapes so man i guess like i've kind of i've kind of always like woven in and out of it sure. know, i'm just like indecisive but i was like okay you know like i wasn't making like a ton of money doing that stuff i was like pretty much losing money yeah like throwing shows like mm -hmm. as we were talking about earlier about like putting on your own events yeah. like it, it could be uh it's definitely not the easiest thing to do to like sustain and, and monetize definitely and house shoes would always tell me that too. <laughs> yeah. He always, he, yeah, he would give good advice on that front. Um, but uh, yeah, I guess uh, like I just, like I know that's what I like doing the most. So I, so I just kept doing it. Mm -hmm. And then um, I ended up, and then after Motor closed, um, ended up moving out here just deciding that, I mean, I was doing a bunch of stuff in Detroit, played all my favorite venues mm -hmm. pretty much by that time. Mm -hmm. um, and then decided that, yeah, I just wanted to, at first I was gonna move to New York, but then just kind of like the landscape, like the rent, everything. Mm -hmm. It's like, wait, you for like this amount of money, I, you could have like, sunshine and palm trees and like <laughs> yeah <laughs> and for sure. this amount of money it was like a like a windowless box you right. know i'm like okay i think i think la is the way to go yeah what um you talked about the job st stacking cds yeah um and i want to talk about the stuff you've done outside of music because I, I think that's really interesting but um was there anything you learned doing that that kind of informed your your career path in music? Um, I think, I mean, it was very like X's and O's. It was very, I came out, what was the name? It was this company called the Handelman Company. Like supposedly oh, yeah. they're like the biggest music distribution company in the world. Yeah, they became something, I forget, but I remember that name. Yeah. yeah. Like official music jobs in Detroit like that, like are very right. hard to come by. I don't even remember how sure. I like came across it, but I mean, basically like I would go around and make sure like the newest Sade CD is mm -hmm. stocked. And then there was like, you know, there'd be like displays I'd have to put up right. and make sure like things are organized yeah, sure. in alphabetical order and sure. in, in the right place. Um, so was there anything like seeing that side of the business that like, cause you, you know, you're, you're essentially like working in two areas yeah. of the industry at the same time and very different. Yeah. I quit that. 
I just, I definitely decided that's not where I wanted to be. Yeah. You know? Sure. I mean, it's cool. They gave me like a little like company car. I don't, I mean, just like some like economy car or whatever, but sure. still that was cool. Uh-huh. But then like, um, but yeah, like doing, I mean, I, it was definitely a learning experience, but I was like, this isn't for me. Mm-hmm. And then I ended up just kind of quitting that yeah. <laughs> after like a year or so. Yeah. yeah. And then you worked at MySpace? I did. So yeah, I mo- so I moved out here, but I, w- you, so Rebel, Rebel spawned off of Herb Magazine, yeah. right? So I was doing stuff for Herb before I moved out here. Oh, okay. Yeah. Like I was, I would like get booked. To, they would have me like DJing that like orange Scion car, uh-huh. like auto, like cause there's auto shows yeah, and stuff yeah, yeah. and whatever. And like, yeah, I do in that Detroit. in Detroit oh, and cool. I would also like book. Yeah. So that's how we know Jackson and Mayor and everybody is really through graffiti. Yeah. So me and him, so me and graffiti went to high school together and okay. we used to make mixtapes together. Nice. And nice. he went to, that's probably, I can't remember how we met graffiti, but that was like our, our beginning of our relationship to yeah. Detroit. I remember when I, like, when I moved out here, I went to the herb office when it was on Hyperion, mm-hmm. I think it was on Hyperion, mm-hmm. right? And like yeah. Silver Lake, which is where I live now pretty much. But, uh, and I remember like seeing like, just like someone facing the wall. I'm like, wait a second. I know that dude. And it was Josh Glazer. Funny. But yeah that's like i did he work at motor he so yeah Yeah. we worked at motor together okay cool yeah 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 um me him this guy gabe gabriel he's the one who brought me in but yeah like yeah i know like i know josh from like just that era but Mm -hmm. then like kind of got to know him personally when we worked at motor together yeah and then still friends now nice but uh but yeah, we I, when I worked when I moved out here, um, I was still doing stuff for Herb. Mm-hmm. Like at first, I was working with with Stephanie. Mm-hmm. Remember Stephanie? And yeah, then, yeah, of course. And then Karen took over her position. Yep. And uh, so I was still doing like doing stuff for them, like Long Beach Auto Show, whatever, mm-hmm. you know, stuff, stuff like that. Is it Long Beach? No, Long Beach Grand Prix. Yeah. yeah wherever they'd right. have that. Yep. That orange car. Yeah. So for, <laughs> I'd be there. So for everybody listening, we had, um, we had, uh, we built a full DJ system into the back of a Scion. It was like this crazy, um, I forget the name of the custom shop, but it was like all on hydraulics. The car opened up and, uh, and this hydraulic lift had a, had a full rig. And then we used to go have, have DJs come and play. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, it was just kind of a fun way to, to move a DJ booth around. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Long Beach Grand Prix, we did a ton of shows, so so many places. Mm-hmm. If you're enjoying this one, let's go back in the Rebel Radio archives. We'll stick on the Detroit theme since uh, Jason's from Detroit. Uh, one of my first guests, uh, we've actually had a lot of Detroit represented on the show over the years um you know testament to how much great music and culture is coming out of that place but uh one of our first guests was tuxedo mayor hawthorne and jake one um early early on so go back and, and look for that one after you finish up here so yeah like when it was in when i was in michigan 
I would like help book the DJs for that. Yeah. I mean, I did on multiple occasions. Yeah. And then I moved out here and then you guys would have me do it wherever. And also, I mean, I got kind of involved pretty quickly DJing in LA because like I was also quote unquote unpaid consultant because I was bringing so many like seven heads, mm -hmm. remember seven heads records mm -hmm. artists to Detroit. They were like, Hey, like when you get out to LA, like, can you just like, just reach out to all these people on our behalf and just meet with them and like chop it up with them. Nice. And one of them was, uh, this dude Brub who managed this group called movement, which was spiders hip-hop group oh okay so then like i connected with him and then like within like the first couple of days like i went and saw like spider and sea wonder they were doing a two by four mm -hmm. at king king and then just got like looped in with those guys and then started djing for like one of their boys because they would all do shows together yeah um with a bunch of different groups and like one of their guys one of their friends needed somebody it was looking for someone to dj for him this dude crush one so I'd like, I remember I would, I would do some shows with him. Um, and then, you know, just started like getting just plugged in and like DJing here and there. I'd also just went around to different bars and stuff too. Like, Hey, you need a DJ? Like yeah. I lived in the Valley. So like was playing for this, end up playing at this place out there on Saturday nights. And it was like the same owners, like the room. Oh, okay. Um, yeah in Coda or whatever. I don't know if Coda is still around, but that's in Santa Monica. Mm -hmm. They kind of like have all oh, these yeah. venues. They all look the same. Right. There is a room in Santa Monica too. And that's supposedly haunted, by the way. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, what, um, that's, a, that's really interesting. Like, you know, I get a DM about once a month from some aspiring artist or DJ who's like, what should I do? How should I, how do I get put on? And I, my response is always like, you, you just have to network. Like you have to yeah. meet people. You have to find people who like what you're doing. Yeah. You just have to throw yourself in the mix, man. Yeah. Like I have no idea how I've like come to this point that I've gotten to, but it's all just like, I mean, if you're a good person and you don't even have to be, the ultimate bet like i don't think i'm like the best dj you know like anywhere near it but you know people you know i i feel like people will recommend because like with because i'm i work with mike d right so mm -hmm. it's like that came about by somebody like a friend of mine uh bobby french just hitting me up out of the blue like hey man can you can you do this for me like i need someone that I could like pretty much trust to like yeah. do this yeah you know um so yeah you just have to like everything i've gotten is just from being in the mix yeah and like you see other people out there too like you see the most successful people like eric marillo mm -hmm. and diplo they're just always out right like networking like it never stops yeah. for them and like i, I was listening to the inner this interview with with josh josh glazer and mm -hmm. eric murillo for his rave curious podcast and mm -hmm. eric murillo he's like longevity in that in in that game is just being out and 
hanging out with the promoters yeah. constantly. Yeah. Like you can't have to constantly be front facing yeah. with them, you know? So and like, you can't be a dick. Don't be a dick. Because it's funny because I was, when I was at Motor, like towards the end, they were doing a trance night, which mm -hmm. is, uh, which is a really bad word in Detroit. Right. <laughs> but you know, that, that like, they were kind of trying to stay afloat and that was kind of becoming sure. a big thing in the world and they were just giving it a, a go and talking to those guys, like they, they didn't like trance, like the guys booking it and right. Josh, but they would book people that they liked because they wanted to hang out with mm -hmm. them, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Like we don't like what he plays, but we want to go to dinner with right. this guy. Yeah. And that's why we're booking him. No, that's, you know? that's big. Um, so talk about how you do that because, you know, you're a super low-key dude. Like, you know, I think, you know, we probably saw each other five times before, like, you know, you really, we had like a real conversation. Yeah. And um, I, I don't, you know, if someone asked me to describe you, I, I wouldn't be like, oh, that dude's like a hustler. Like he's, he's a networker. Yeah. Right. But obviously you have a big network of friends and people who trust you and like what you do and you've, and you know, hearing you talk, like you've built that, I don't want to say on purpose, but like, but that's how you get down. Yeah. Right. Is, is building relationships. And so I guess my question is, you know, if I didn't know you, I would think you were like way more outgoing than you come across. Okay. Um, so how do you do that? Like, I think sometimes people, that might be more, you know, a little more quiet or, or less aggressive, feel like they can't go be good at, at networking and building relationships. Yeah. So how do you do that in a way that, that suits your personality? Hmm. <laughs> I'm asking you to analyze yourself, <laughs> which isn't really fair. Fuck, man. I mean, I, like, I guess it just comes from an inherent, like, passion for like the music and the scene and everything, you yeah. know, like that, I just do. And like, that's like my ultimate goal in the end is that I've like kind of like narrowed it down to is like, I want to like make good music mm -hmm. with good people, you know, that I like respect and love. Like, I'm not trying to like just do things just to do them or like do this type of music because it's like the popular thing now you right. know like I want to do I really want to do my own thing and like have my own voice but um but yeah I just think like I think people see that you know like I'm not I'm not really out like I'm not really out to like leapfrog people either mm -hmm. you know like mm -hmm. take your job I'm not out at the if I go to like something, it's not because I want that person's job and things like that. Right. You know, like they're general, you know, like I go, if I'm out, it's because like, I really want to go see this person play or mm -hmm. like hear what they're going to play. Like I might not even play that style of music, you know, but I just want to hear what they're going to do. Yeah. You know, because I'm, because I would like to know like what's next or, sure. um, does that make any sense? Yeah, I think it absolutely <laughs> does. Um, so you, you mentioned Mike D, and I, I want to talk about that, right? Because you, you've been touring with Mike. Yeah. Um, and so you kind of mentioned how you got connected. But, uh, you know, Mike D could probably have any DJ in the world. Yeah. 
right? To how I told him that too. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not mixed master Mike. He's like, it's all good, man. Right. So, <laughs> so what is like, it? I know, but that's not what you know. That's not what I'm looking for right now. Yeah. So talk to me about that conversation and that relationship. Like, why? Why does that work? Um, this. I'm gonna interject Kenny Larkin in here. Mm. <laughs> so, not right away, but I'll get back to it. So yeah, a friend asked me. He's like, "Hey man, like, can you go do this thing? It's like it's really involved. It's hard to describe. Can you call me later?" I'm like, I was like in the middle of like a DJ gig at the time, and I was like, I could call you in like a few hours. And yeah. then he just started like firing off texts to me. He's like, "Hey, like." Mike D was looking for help, someone to help like curate, because um, he was booked himself to DJ, because mm-hmm. he's been doing his uh, his radio show on Apple, and I guess that's kind of like led to him, you know, like people inquiring for him to DJ or whatever. So yeah. like he had done like a couple of things, and then he was doing this, uh, he was doing Riot Fest in Chicago. And my friend asked if I can uh, like help him curate and like show him some some tricks, you mm-hmm. know, like show him yeah. like basically show him some DJ tricks. And uh, so schedule, I was like, yeah, like let's. I like I still didn't really understand like what it was. Mm-hmm. So I was kind of like, okay, we'll go see. Like you know, like I have a week to do all this. So I was, I'm not going to say skeptical, but, you know, I just didn't understand it fully yet. Sure. So I didn't go in there, like, full, full, gun bla- full guns blazing with, like, crazy, like, I was excited to work with them, but, I, you know, I'd, I was like, I have to wait and see, like, this might be a really hard thing to do. Mm-hmm. So I get to, we scheduled a week of rehearsals, and, uh, you know, we just started like we started like putting together the set and stuff, but also just kind of like um, getting to know each other a little bit more. And he, we started talking about like the Detroit music scene. And then he's like, that was the first city that gave us love. Mm. And then he's like, what do you know about the, he like pull up like DJ saw ass and titties. Titties, ass and titties, ass, ass, titties, titties, ass and titties, ass, ass, titties, titties, ass and titties. And then he's like, what do you know about this? And it was a Kenny Larkin remix of uh, Kevin Saunderson Future. Okay. Which is like, it's a pretty amazing track yeah and at that point in time i was actually like in a studio space with kenny larkin funny downtown yeah Yeah. and um so it was just kind of like a crazy coincidence and you know we just started like digging deep into that and then i the next day i showed up he's like so how about you dj you know and then we just started to we did one show one big show um and you know, it's like I'm I'm DJing. He's on the mic. He's also like he he's got like his own station too with mm-hmm. like uh, triggering effects mm-hmm. and uh, like he um, like we built on that from from like that was like a really stripped down version. But then for like our next, we did like little we 
shows in between that and the next like big like festival tour yeah like smaller stuff like movie premiere stuff and um like fashion stuff mm -hmm. but then you know we just like it just kind of like naturally i think we we like musically we're definitely on the same page um and that's you know like that comes from i feel like i feel like it's important to like have convictions and like not like i don't just accept everything sure you know just because it's like the big thing or the new the new like um popular like genre of whatever you know like um like if i say something you know if i'm like fuck if i say something if i don't like it you know he'd be like oh shit he's like ad rock would say the same thing you know i'm like <laughs> okay you know like okay so funny <laughs> um what um so we kind of yeah we're on the same page we have the same like opinions i feel like yeah. a lot of the same opinions and and i was working like i left i was i had like a full-time job that i left in like 2013 to like focus back on music 100 percent. but i wanted to like i like stripped everything back i'm like i want to focus on like like what like kind of more my roots you know like yeah i want to make like, I want to focus more and kind of, like, just, like, un m more, like, underground, like, dance music stuff. Mm -hmm. um, I was still, like, also playing, like, hip-hop, also like, out at different right. venues. But, you know, like, just focus on everything that, like, the square root of everything that I like, you know? Mm. Um, like, no compromise. What, um, what has Mike taught you? Um, I think he is... For, like, someone that's been so long in the game, he's just, like, he's exactly, like, I was saying, like, like he's someone who's always, they've always pushed the boundaries yeah. with no compromise. They never, like, I mean, of course, they did stuff like Fight for Your Right, you know, that maybe that's not, they're not most excited about that. Like, we would probably never play that, you know, <laughs> but, you know. But they, you know, they're vocal about, they think it's, they think it's just kind of funny, you right. know, like, but, um, but, you know, like you've seen, like as their catalog, as they progress as artists, they did what they wanted to do, you know? Yeah. And what I was saying before, like what I kind of like took back, took a step back and, and kind of like retooled and just stepped away from it and then came back it's like i want to i want to do it like everything i want to do i want to do like my way like because it's like like i want it to be my voice mm -hmm. and i feel like that's he has he is that person like the bc For boys sure. are that group like yeah. they they did they always push the boundaries yeah and he's also just i mean as far as like an like a rock star that's been in the in the game for so long, he's just like, I feel like he's kind of like the perfect person to kind of like have as like a like a guide to, you know, like he's yeah, I'm sure yeah, he's like he's a family dude now. He's yeah. in his fifties. He's a family dude. He's a sommelier. Mm -hmm. You know, he's not. It's not like a tra. He's not a tragic right. figure. You know, oh, no, like, definitely not. Um. um and he's a good dude too, you yeah. know, like he, he's, it's, he's very, like I've been in a lot of, 
I've been in other situations, you know, like touring with groups or whatever that it wasn't the best. Like it was, it was fun in a lot of ways and a great learning experience. But after a while, like I just didn't feel like I fit in there anymore. Like, mm -hmm. like I feel like the team, like Mike and like the team are, it's like I'm in a good place with them in the music industry, yeah. you know, which is a crazy industry. So. Yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned kind of taking some time off and I know um, you started, uh, was it a digital agency? I did, yeah. So I was in, I was in MySpace. Okay. And random, like I've, I found that job on Craigslist. No way. <laughs> but they didn't respond to me, but I, I knew I worked with a girl at that time who her best friend was the PR girl for MySpace. Okay. So like I waited a while and then we all had lunch at some point. I was like, oh, I, I emailed that. I saw like a yeah. job posting and she's like, oh, and like that day, like someone hit me up and it's like, can you come in today for an interview? And I was like, sure. And I went in and then that day they hired me. And that was on my birthday. That's cool. Happy birthday to me. <laughs> no kidding. Tom. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I was there for a while and like I got involved with them too, just DJing their right. events. Sure. Um, and then I was there for a few years and that, you know, like through their acquisition and then a, a, like the, the nightlife dude, do you remember Ted, the nightlife guy? No. Ted, Ted Skillet. No, we worked with Rosalind a lot. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny because uh, Rosalind ended up like coming and working with the company that we started kind of after I left though, but I was still, okay. um, but yeah, she, yeah, Rosalind, she was, yeah, she was there when I, when I started too. Yeah. He was also there. They were both in the same kind of department, just okay. like doing, dip, like the, like doing entertainment stuff, sure. you know? Yeah. But uh, yeah, we kind of, he broke off and kind of started his own company at one point. And then I just knew, like, it just felt like everything was going to fall apart in my space. And I just hit him up, like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm trying to get this off the ground. And then we just had lunch that day. And I was like, we, I think I could, like, bring a bunch of clients to you now. Nice. And then that it happened pretty much that same day. And then um, <laughs> go back to the feeling that everything's going to fall apart. Um, in my space. Yeah. What, tell me about that feeling because I mean, I've never, I've worked in companies that have fallen apart in my, my companies, um, yeah. but I've never had, you know, I've never been inside a company like that, but we see it from the outside all the time. And I think it's easy to wonder how did no one see it? Yeah. I, well, for a tech company to stay afloat and innovative in the marketplace when there's some, like when you've got like companies like Facebook that just came out of nowhere. And I sure. remember the first time we, I laid eyes on Facebook, like there was a USC student that worked in the office. You had to be a student to right, get right. on Facebook. Yeah. And we were, we were all like huddled around our desks, like, whoa, all right. Like this is like, we'd mm -hmm. heard about it, but we'd never seen it before. Mm -hmm. But you kind of like, like MySpace was such like a force at the time. I mean, it was a fun ride, definitely working there. Um, but it was such a force 
you almost at that point in time you didn't feel like you any anything else could take you down you know but yeah once we like when we got bought like you see the suits start rolling in yeah and then you see the bar the barriers to innovation you know like the bureaucracy mm -hmm. when things when people would just be able to just meet on the fly and like right think like think about a new product yeah, like, and hey, then I just, got an idea. yeah Whatever. and then just decide they want to execute that yeah you know like then it starts to take you know three months mm -hmm. or maybe longer mm -hmm. to get things done yeah and i mean it just became you just felt that it just became corporate right you know like from something we were, we all fit in like one room and it was just very young and yeah hip and energetic and then they just like we were in santa monica and then they moved us to Beverly Hills and it just grew, grew so fast and just became so corporate. So, it, you know, you could see how, you know, a young guy in that situation would be tempted to think, well, you know, obviously those guys know something I don't, right? Like, yeah, this is changing, but you know, maybe it's for the better, right? Yeah. So what kept you from, from, thinking that um fuck it was a long time ago <laughs> <laughs> well let me ask you this did you so so there's like there's that's an important lesson yeah right definitely Which is like you you're in it things are great it's funny I, I, quick side note i was at uh south by southwest this, is, this would have been a couple years before that i'm at the four seasons i got introduced to um Jonathan, the founder of Friendster, really? I think that was his name. No one, no one knows anymore. Yeah, um, I don't. I didn't never even knew the name of the. And it was right when MySpace was like starting to bubble. Yeah. And I asked him, like, and we, you know, we're having a coffee, whatever, talking about random shit, music, I'm sure. And I'm like, so, what do you think about MySpace? And he was like, Psh. yeah. And like in that moment, I knew you're fucked. Yeah. Right, because. You can't uh, discount. You can't discount, yeah. right? And and he was like, "Oh, wait till, wait, we're about to roll out version two, like something like that." And he's like, "We're gonna kill him." And you know, yeah, confidence is great. Like belief in your product is great. But he was so dismissive yeah. that I just knew in that moment, like if I had stock, I would have sold it that day. Yeah, I just think like they started to, yeah, they started to change, try to do redesigns. Like nothing seemed to work. Yeah. And I think when you see people in the office, like on Facebook, <laughs> yeah, sure, <laughs> that work in MySpace, right? Like you just know, you just felt that, yeah, they were things were just. I mean, they they didn't obviously they didn't disappear. They didn't disappear, like, but they did like mass layoffs. Yeah, yeah, you know. And so, they, so what, so how did how do you take that lesson into then the rest of your your life i think that for me personally i mean i just like to always be like ear to the streets like what's going on you know yeah and yeah you can't you can't like you can't be dismissive of like new genres and new trends and you know but yeah. um just i think stay stay open-minded and don't sell anything to Rupert Murdoch. 
<laughs> That's probably good. Well, it probably, I guess, I mean, it sort of worked out for them, right? They got their money. And, yeah, yeah. But no, they, I mean, well, it's, it, yeah, they got, yeah, I mean. But their legacy is trash, right? Like, yeah. If, you know, you, you it, had the chance to build something that was meaningful to the world and it was for a really short period of time. Yep. Um, so you, so you, you kind of go down that direction in, in the tech world um, in digital media. And so, and then you kind of found your way back to music. Yeah. Um, so two questions. I was still doing, like, I was still DJing and stuff like that Yeah. through, like, I just kind of like in the two thousands in, like, I got kind of just, I was doing the Hollywood club scene, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. playing like, like, area on wednesday nights like uh, you know like right. do, just doing kind of like like the sceney stuff mm -hmm. and like i also decided i just felt like it wasn't for me you know yeah um it was fun at first i was just going with it yeah you know um but so, so looking back why is that a good idea if you're if you're advising some you know, up and coming DJ producer. Why was it a good idea to kind of take that detour in your career? Um, well, I mean, it, it was just, I was just having fun. Yeah. You know, I was just going with it. Yeah. But like musically, I wasn't progressing, I don't think, mm -hmm. you know, but I, you know, it's, it was, I mean, I was meeting a lot of good people. I was just kind of like, I was just kind of going with it at the yeah. time, you yeah. know? So, yeah, I just feel like I don't know if it's a good or bad idea for anyone else, but, okay. like, I feel like it was a good idea for me. Like, I could have just, I could have just been focusing on what I've been focusing on since, you know, like, for the past, like, eight years or so. Um, and maybe I would have gotten, like, I've made a lot of headway. Mm-hmm. Um, put out a lot of good music the past couple of years that I'm really, that I believe in and I'm excited about. Like I could have been focusing on that hundred mm percent, -hmm. but you know, that's just not what happened. Sure. You know, so that's, yeah. I mean, I, I definitely learned a lot of, uh, like just skills, like working DJ skills, like how to play those rooms. Mm -hmm. And there was like a certain style and like, that I mean that was a really exciting time in LA honestly um it's like the DJ AM years yeah and I mean I was really inspired by that as well yeah even though like like style wise it was uh it was on another level mm -hmm. music wise mm -hmm. not so much you right. know like um but just being it, yeah. I mean, playing those rooms and navigating that scene is like is its own beast. Yeah, absolutely. So, what's inspiring you now? Um, I mean, just what's inspiring me now, and so many different things. I, like, I'm also I'm just inspired by like how far like my hometown scene is is gone you mm -hmm. know and just like can to being a voice for that mm -hmm. you know like yeah. being out here like still kind of representing 
where I came from, you know, initially. Sure. Yeah. And, you know, like going out like this, I saw Seth Troxler this weekend, huge sold out venue. Yeah. He played for six hours straight and it was crazy, you know, like seeing that, like going out in the world, like I, we, we played in, uh, we played in, in Belgium over the, a, a few months ago. And then I went to Ibiza after that. And then, you know, just like meeting up with a, a buddy of mine from Detroit and mm -hmm. then like meeting up with like we, you know, we met up with uh, Seth Troxler and like went and saw Carl Craig. Like there's just so much Detroit mm -hmm. in the world. Mm -hmm. And that's like, that's just like to see how far that's like, I can't get enough of it to see how far that's come. Yeah. You know? Yeah. From like Jeff Mills is the wizard, you know, when I'm a kid. Sure. To like it being just a worldwide phenomenon. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm always fascinated with Detroit just as, you know, I think twice uh, or, or in two different industries, Detroit's shown us that uh, you can be small and, and have a massive impact. Yeah. That, you know, they did that in music, they did that in cars. Mm -hmm. um, and I think there's something about that that the rest of us can learn from. Right. Definitely. Yeah, I mean, it's... It's kind of, um, I mean, I think that, like the, um, fe the feeling that no one is paying attention to you mm. makes you, like, want to have, makes you want to have a bigger voice, sure. I guess. Like, I, it's hard to, I guess it's hard to describe, but yeah, like, when you're, when we're younger and you go out of town and, like, you say where you're from, people are like, where? Like, why? Like, who would ever go there? So, like, you... So you kind of like, everyone has that chip on their shoulder. That's funny. Yeah, it's good. It's good fuel, right? Mm -hmm. Interesting. Um, so what are you working on next? Um, I have another EP that I'm wrapping up with uh, my buddy Lee Curtis. Um, that I think it's going to come out. We Our last EP came out on Vision Quest. Mm -hmm. Then I'm working on my own, like, I'm really focusing on, because all the stuff I've put out over the past couple of years have been collaborations. So, um, you know, I mean, it's been, it's been amazing. Like, I've been able to put music out on Stone's Throw um, with my buddy Elvis Suarez. Mm -hmm. We did, uh, we had this Heart and Soul project. And then uh, working with this other, this really talented singer, Spencer, um, we uh we worked with uh we put a a track out me him and Elvis on uh, Gladys Pizarro from Strictly Rhythms new label Launch Entertainment it was just amazing to be able to like see if I could just be in a constant state of geeking out you know like yeah that's like that's just where I want to be you know sure. like okay Strictly Rhythm one of like the best labels in house music history probably the best music in house music history and like now we're working with the lady who launched that you know yeah and um but then uh i'm but they've like everything i've done have all been like collaborations so mm -hmm. like this year i'm just like i'm gonna do my own shit 
and then like maybe get some features. So like I've been working a lot of my own like just solo projects. Like nice. I want to do two. My goal is to do two solo EPs um, this year, and then yeah, and then I have the Lee another one with Lee Curtis as well. Yeah, it's great. Um, okay, I got to get to a, a lightning round before we let you go. Um, what's your favorite city to travel to? Um, good question. Jip, uh, Tokyo. Yeah. And I th Mine we're too. about to go back. You oh, like Tokyo? Yeah, I love it there. It's fucking, dude, it's insane. Yeah. It's hard. Like I tell, I feel like I should work for the Board of Tourism <laughs> because it's like, I have to tell everyone how amazing Tokyo is. I think they have a lot of, a lot of people doing free work for them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what, who's your favorite DJ? Um, what genre? You can have more than one. Okay. My favorite hip hop DJ, Jazzy Jeff. My favorite dance music DJ. I have to say like, I'm just going to go back to Terrence Parker. Mm. Nice. Um, but I like I, I think the best DJ in the world probably like I think like I've just seen I think Seth Trox was probably one of the better DJs in the world mm. at this moment but Terrence Parker definitely he was like when I was a kid like he was like the perfect mix of everything that I like because he he was like house dj but would scratch and do doubles mm -hmm. like turntable mm -hmm. turntable stuff nice yeah what uh what's the last great book you read um malcolm gladwell out outsiders outliers outliers yeah cool um yeah that's a good one what movie have you seen the most in your life hmm Heat, probably. Oh, that's a great movie. Yeah. Yeah. That's that, a good one to yeah, see that's, that was again. the first time yeah. Al Pacino and Robert De Niro were ever in, like, a scene yeah, yeah. together. Yeah. That was good. It, it's funny, like, I remember when that came out, and it was almost like, I, don't, I mean, I think it did well, but I think it also had, like, this expectation that they could never meet. Yeah. Because everyone was so excited to see the two of them. Mm-hmm. And, um... Like, so when I saw it, I was like, ah, that's not that good. And then, like, I went back to it years later. I was mm -hmm. like, oh, it was a great movie. I don't know why. We were all over it. <laughs> I think I just, you know, I had, you know, you'd grown up with the two of them as icons. And then it was almost like there's no way that anything could live up to, yeah. you know, this idea of putting them together. But it was a good movie. Yeah, I didn't. Well, I have to say, I didn't see it in the theaters. Right. Yeah, sure. But like, all throughout. When I was in Michigan State, like we would watch, we would watch that yeah. all the time. Yeah, that's where I consumed it the most. Yeah, for sure, that makes sense. So, if you could wake up tomorrow having gained any skill or ability, what would it be? Um, to be, I don't know, a jujitsu master. Okay, yeah, for sure. <laughs> That'd be awesome, especially if you could do if it. If I could one, just skip to the end, you yeah. know, like, I mean, I've done, I did some Muay Thai and stuff, but yeah, if you could just, like, 
learn everything and not have to go through the whole process. For sure. be amazing. Yeah. I like that one. Um, if I worked for you, what's something I would hear you say over and over? Shit. Don't be a dick. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I like that. Not that you're a dick, man. No, no. Sometimes. I probably am sometimes. Not uh, that I've experienced you. No. <sighs> All right, I got to work on that. Nice, dude. Thanks for doing this, man. That was that's fun. it. Lightning round over. Fuck. It's I fast. Getting, I was like, oh, I'm just sweating. I'm like, let's see if we can think of some more. Gonna, he's okay, gonna throw some hardballs at me. Oh, nice. Okay. Um, <laughs> no, it's. <laughs> what style of yours are you glad is behind you and not on social media? Wait, which one? Wait, what, what? a style. Like, a style? Yeah, a style that you are rocking. Well, I mean, I definitely lived through an era where. I mean, does this has to be like social media years or this could be like when I was no, a no, kid. No, no, I'm saying, like, yeah, yeah, stuff that yeah. like you're, you're happy that it's, like not, it's not out there like that. Yeah, no no mullets. Right. That's the thing. It's like everyone, did you have one? I feel like everyone, everyone had one. There's a pic, my wife, uh, <laughs> my wife found a bunch of old pictures of all of us and like hung them at the front door in our house. Yeah. And so she's got this little picture of me. I, it's like a Prince vibe, like mm. a little mustache and a, and a oh, man. mullet and uh, the shirt's open. What? Yeah, I was like... I was like rock star Josh? Like, I was like 13 and I was... and uh, Richard Marks Josh? Oh, shit. <laughs> no, definitely like, you know, I definitely like had Morris Day in mind when I would get dressed yeah. in the morning. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? That's funny, man. No purple, but that's beyond pretty, that. That's pretty tight, man. Yeah, no, there, there's definitely things that we're glad are behind. I mean, it's you know, it's, in my defense, like, I grew up in the 70s, it was like bell bottoms, like all, yeah. basically every style was bad until it wasn't. Right. That's pretty much, yeah, like, what, what are we going to look like? We look back on this, like, 10 years from now, like, are we going to look like, are we going to look like fools? I don't think so. I mean, you're not <laughs> rocking, like, the super skinny. Yeah, know, that's true. Whatever, like. I think, yeah, I'm rocking a, sh a shirt from 1989. Right. So, yeah, I think there's timeless. A, there's some timelessness. You Chuck's, you're not gonna be mad at Chuck's. Mm -mm. Timeless. Nice, dude. Thank you for doing this, man. It yeah. was so much fun talking to you. Thanks for uh, having me, man. How should everybody find you? Um, Instagram, Steingold Music. Yeah. Um, Twitter, Steingold Music. Sound SoundCloud. It's just Steingold, I think. Cool. Oh, that comes slash Steingold. Dope. So that's, that's what it is. Right on. Yeah, that was Steingold on Rebel Radio. I hope you enjoyed it. I know I did. Um, like I said, leave us a comment on Twitter, Facebook, uh, Instagram. You can follow us at Rebel Radio Net. There's uh, videos of a lot of our shows coming up on our YouTube page at Rebel Radio Net. And most importantly, come back next week for more Rebel Radio. Peace.